Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Suncos Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Book and the Bird Show. show you know for our american listeners hopefully you have had a enjoyable long weekend and a happy thanksgiving and your travel troubles were not insane as they tend to be over this weekend for our friends in the rest of the world i hope your normal work week was as normal as it normally is I often wonder, because being an American and growing up where Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving is the mark of the beginning of the Christmas insanity and mm-hmm. season, I always wonder, like, what, what, what mark is there used in the rest of the world for their beginning of the, is it December 1st? I mean, Christmas is the same date, but they don't have a Thanksgiving to kind of kick it all off with maybe that's halloween maybe maybe that's why we, we have christmas trees in. yes maybe that's why what we call christmas creep in the u.s isn't christmas creep in the rest of the world i don't know this is something to this is deep thoughts that we need to ask around and find out what harkens the beginning of christmas because as we've been watching some british television we're seeing all the asda commercials for christmas and and they kicked in last weekend. Or yeah, the weekend about last before. week. So it's like they're using the American Thanksgiving as around the time they should start talking about Christmas. Actually, I think it was probably about two weeks ago when we first started seeing. But they were slow. Mm-hmm. They really picked up last week. True. Um, and about apparently the uh, my favorite part of the ASDA commercial is when they are talking about. Traditional foods for Christmas, and somebody says fish fingers? Yes. And multiple turkeys. Yorkshire turkeys. pudding, but not in our house, but this is in your house. And right. Yeah. Yorkshire's for Christmas? Not in our house. Well, this is in your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. But before we, we actually, maybe to act, get us on track, because we've kind of drifted off track already, so not really before, just... I started off on an an adjacent track. Let's start with this. We have a message was released this this past week um, by Mercedes. It was a message from Nikki Lauda. Oh. So let's share that first. Okay. Message to my team and my friends. As you all know, I had a rough time from my health point of view and to support I got from all you people on my way was unbelievable. And I was out of bed quicker because I felt to be home in a big, strong family and friends. Therefore, the achievement of this year, outstanding, five championships in a row, Lewis again, Bottas right there. We could not have done a a better job. 
And now the important message is, I'll be there soon. And off we go, off we go. The pressure comes for the sixth time. Thank you very much. Did you see the factory celebrating after Mercedes clinched the championship? Oh, oh there's been quite a bit of it. All of them were wearing red hats. Yeah. They had their turquoise shirts on, their Mercedes turquoise shirts, but all of them with red hats that they lifted off their heads and waved just like Nikki does. I thought that was so sweet. The only difference is that those appeared to be blank red hats as opposed to Nikki Lauda's traditional Novomatic hats. Well, yes. But But that's probably because Nikki Lauda has bought up the entire stock of Novomatic hats ever. (laughs) Um, But no, it's... It was the blank red hat. It's probably what they could get the fastest on their little hands and in quantity because I think it was like 700 people. Um, Mercedes had also put out, um, I think it was early this week or late. I, you know, I don't remember which now. It was either early this week or late last week. Um, actually, it may have been closer to the middle of the week. Um, they put out a video that they had said and admitted was intended to be their big celebration video in commemoration of winning their fifth championship. But they also admitted that they have been celebrating very hard and they were a bit distracted, so it was not up to standard. And yeah, it was cute. Aw. No, I think that they are very... And they should be very, very proud of themselves. Five world championships in a row is amazing. And as all the pundits will say, this has been one of the first years that they've really been challenged for that. Um, so I think Nikki's right. They're going to have to double down over this winter to get it to six. Now, of course, as Susie Wolf pointed out, you know, we, we've now got three teams that seem to be fairly evenly matched. And then next year we're, we're getting another rules change. No, now, that's I don't, the way it goes. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. I don't necessarily think that – I mean, we, we've seen a big rules change once already in the turbo hybrid era, era, and it didn't really change the results that much. Mm-mm. So I'm not completely sure that this is going to have as dramatic an impact. I, I think what's going to be the real question, and, and we'll be talking about this quite a bit, is – has Honda finally figured out the engine and pair that with an, an Adrian Newey uh, designed car, could we actually see something competitive? I don't know. Well, that's the big question is, could there be a shakeup based on that change? My biggest concern is, and we are recording this between qualifying and race at Abu Dhabi, um, the Hondas did not do well in the qualifying, they had engine troubles, and they had not been traditionally having engine troubles. Well, this year they have not traditionally had. Oh, right. In the <laughs> recent past. Remember, as a Formula One pundit, we are required to have very short memories. <laughs> it is like in the contract, we are supposed to have very short memories and always think that Formula One was better in ye olde days. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, so with Red Bull moving away from Renault, 
you know, we're hoping that things are going to be better at Renault. They, they, they think that they finally got a spec that's workable and it's going to happen. But now there's some major turmoil coming over in the Renault camp. What's happening? Well, word broke on the 19th, so about the beginning of this past week, that CEO and chairman of Nissan and Renault, because he runs both companies, Carlos Gosen was arrested by Japanese authorities and um, was reportedly about to be, and he ultimately was fired by the board of Nissan for financial misconduct. And he managed to hang on towards, oh, the middle of the week over at Renault before Renault kicked him out as well. Wow. So what we know has happened, what we have heard has happened, is that the Japanese started investigating um, Carlos's financial dealings, um, including personal use of company money and supposedly underreporting how much he had been paid. As a result of all of that, Japanese authorities investigated and took him into custody. Oh, my. So, obviously, there's now a lot of turmoil going on. Why this is important is that Carlos Gozen was a very big driver in Renault returning to Formula One as a full-on constructor and not just an engine manufacturer. So there is some question as to whether or not his replacements will look as favorably on spending as much money as the company is on a struggling team. There's also some questions about the general motivation behind what has happened. So one of the conspiracy theories that is floating around out there um, hinges on the fact that um, Carlos Gosen has been pushing for several years to make a tighter tie between Nissan and Renault, something that's been going on for quite a while since he took over. First, he created the alliance between the two companies. That's what why we ended up with the Infinity brand on the back of the Red Bull, even though it was running Renault engines, and they were Infinity Red Bull racing for sure. It was all related to him strengthening the ties between the two companies. Okay. There was word that later this year he was pushing extremely hard for a full-on merger of the two companies, which was unpopular with, obviously, on the Renault side, it was fairly unpopular with the shareholders, but it was vehemently unpopular on the Nissan side. And that's where this whole thing started was over on the Nissan side. Interesting. So one of the conspiracy theories is that this is kind of a shareholder revolt that has led to the investigation that caused him to be arrested and then ultimately fired by both companies. Okay. I get the idea of a shareholder revolt and I get the conspiracy theory, but here's the thing. If the guy is innocent, he's not fired. No, they they have... No, I understand. They have already fired him. If he had not done what they're claiming he had done, then this isn't a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, you have to come up with... 
they're having to find dirt somewhere, but that's awfully easy dirt to find. It, it is. Um, some of the things that were talked about it is that this would not be a merger of equals. This would essentially be, even though Nissan owned a share of Renault, this would probably be more like Renault buying Nissan because all Nissan had the cash to come up with was a 15% non-voting stake in the Renault organization. Oh. And see, I'm bummed because that could mean if that had gone through, it could have seen Renaults come to the U.S. So according to the Financial Times, Mr. Gosen was the driving force behind the merger plans, with met with fierce resistance from Nissan's board, according to people familiar with the deliberations. Renault's 43% stake in Nissan gives it unusual levels of control with the ability to appoint senior executives. Nissan's 15% stake in Renault comes with no voting rights and gives the business no control over its French counterpart. The board of Nissan always said they would fight very hard against any reorganization that entrenched that second-tier status, said one person close to the board. Hmm. Investigators had carefully planned a multi-front assault on Gosen on November 19th. One team of investigators was waiting at Haneda Airport in Tokyo for the corporate jet carrying Gosen to land. They had learned beforehand that the jet was scheduled to arrive between 4 and 5 p.m. Investigators also received approval from airport officials to approach the plane on the tarmac soon after it landed. That allowed investigators to board the corporate jet and question Gosen within minutes after it landed. After the plane arrived at 4.35 p.m., a white van parked next to the plane ramp at which point they boarded and took him into custody. Okay. So, it's going to, yeah, it's really kind of high level as to what's happening, but there is a very distinct chance that this could have an impact on the Formula One team and what they're doing and what they're trying to do. I mean, the reality is that team is sucking up a lot of capital from Renault. Mm Mm-hmm. We should keep our eyes on this situation. I mean, I hope that it does nothing to them for 2019 and that they see some success. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, it's, it's something for us to watch in the offseason. We're going to need storylines to watch in the offseason. True. In other news, so going into this weekend, the slap fight, I guess the best way to describe it, between Haas and Force India – Went to a whole new level. They started calling each other names, didn't they? No, I think somebody said, "Here, hold my weave." If if they were not calling each other names yet, and I think there may have been, they certainly are after this one. But Haas lodged a protest with the FIA, um, now asserting that Force India was ineligible to enter its cars into the championship because they didn't design and build them. So stick with me here. So the cars that Force India has been running were the cars that, and, and actually let me, let, me, let me back up one step for, and rephrase that. The cars that Racing Point Force India have been running 
were the cars that were designed by Sahara Force India at the start of the season and built and manufactured by Sahara Force India. But when the team went under and was reconstituted for the Belgian Grand Prix in Spa, they entered as a new entity, as Racing Point Force India, with a new corporate license. Right. To which point, as Haas continues to contend, new entity, they fall under the rules as a new entrant into Formula One. And as a new entrant, they didn't build those cars. Sahara Force India did, and they went bust. You can't, this is a podcast. You cannot audibly hear my eyes rolling, but this is getting <laughs> ridiculous. But here's the thing mm-hmm. um, the ruling came down that they are okay. And right that well, they dismissed the protest after a two day long hearing, which at one point was paused so that additional evidence could be collected. Now, we don't know who was collecting this evidence, whether it was Haas who wanted to bring more forward or Force Race Point Force India who wanted to bring more evidence over. But it was, um, they ruled in favor, they dismissed the protest from Haas. And have obviously allowed Force India, Race Point Force India to continue forward. Okay. Hey, I want to start my own conspiracy theory. Okay. Quick. If Haas keeps knocking down this door that they're a new entity and they keep getting knocked back and said, no, they get to do this or no, they get to do that. At what point? Does Force India turn around and go, you've upheld our status that we get to keep the money that we had, mm-hmm. that we had from last year because that was Sahara Force India. We don't forfeit that. That gets to carry over. You've up- upheld that we get to get paid out this year because we're not technically a new entity. We bought an existing team. You've just upheld that we created our own car because it was created under Sahara Force India, but is now being raced under Racing Point Force India. At what point does Force India turn around and go, look at all of these points that you are upholding. Remember those points that we forfeited from Melbourne to Spa? We want them back. Well, we no, were they can't. one team. Well, You've said we were one team from all of these other things. Upheld, you know, therefore, well, well, that, that, that's why I'm going to stop you because this is where you've got to hear the ruling. Okay. And actually, the ruling, in a lot of respects, impacts Haas in a couple of different ways. And I think to some extent addresses some of the criticism that has been leveled against Haas and Ferrari in the previous few years. Okay. Okay. So. There were nine decisions that were published in response to the hearing with the chief verdicts based on F1's rules over listed parts. Now, this is important. Listed parts are the parts that um, teams don't have to design and, and build on, uh, on their own. They can purchase from, some, from another team or from other suppliers. Haas has lived on this listed parts rule quite a bit. Mm-hmm purchasing a lot of those listed parts either directly from Ferrari or from Dallara around the chassis. 
so that they could speed up their own process of entering and cut their costs. Haas had contested that Racing Point Force India had neither designed nor outsourced these parts. That was their feeling because Racing Point Force India got them from Sahara Force India. Sahara Force India had either designed or built those listed parts. The stewards ruled that the original Force India team could not be considered a competitor or constructor because it no longer exists and stated there is no regulatory support that listed parts cannot come from a former or excluded team. So that's how it gets around your argument there of because they're not that the original team doesn't exist anymore there's nothing that says they can't reuse any of that stuff okay it's interesting um force india ceased to meet the fia definition of both a competitor and a constructor on august 16th when as we mentioned its assets were sold to allow the formation of the new racing point force india organization the stewards thus determined that the procurement of the listed parts was allowed as they are satisfied, Racing Point Force India meets the definition of a constructor and a competitor of the 2018 World Championship. They have ruled that it is a valid entry. Okay. So, in response to this, Haas has already submitted a notice of intent to appeal this verdict. Now, understand, and... and Gunther Steiner has explained why he did this. And if you're watching Sky Sports, you may have heard this interview. It's not because necessarily that they're going to appeal this. What he says is that this is a lengthy ruling. Mm-hmm. And it takes it's going to take some time to digest and understand exactly what this ruling says, what it means, and what it entails. By turning around and filing the notice of intent to appeal, it extends the clock that they can do other actions and gives them time to actually figure out what the intent is behind this ruling and what it means and how it applies and determine next steps. They may not actually appeal. They may actually use this in other ways that they could leverage this to their advantage. Oh, okay. So keep that in mind as well. All right. Now, back over to the name-calling piece. Otmar Safnauer is, of course, accusing Haas of hypocrisy now. Oh, yeah. Over coming after them and, you know, you're throwing a fit over listed parts and you guys are basically a team of listed parts. (laughs) And this isn't about equality and, and, you know, he's now taking that fight. This is going to get nastier, I think. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's going to get nastier. And, you know, Haas still stands by the fact that you want to turn around and you want to say that Race Point Force India is a new team. You made them forfeit points. You're turning around and saying that the whole reason that they're getting these parts is because they purchased them from a defunct entity. So why is it the rules around prize money apply to them? Yeah. Why are they not being and, and, and that's why I think truly Haas wants to digest this ruling is because if they're giving the leeway here, then why are they getting the leeway in the prize money? And I think that's truly what the game is and what Haas is looking to do. 
I just have a feeling that this is a powder keg that could have the potential to backfire on Haas because as they, and I know that that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to maneuver this thing around that changes, you know, Haas waited three years for prize money Mm -hmm. and they're trying to do the same thing to basically tie the hands of Force India um, and slow their roll. I mean, that's the the truth answer here is they're trying to slow a roll, but the reality is they get shut down enough there's a there's a tipping point where you've just made the FIA validate their status to the point that they could come back and go hey wait a minute we were willing to accept this this way but you've ruled in our favor for all of these other things as this attack barrage has come on to us you know, but but at I don't some think point, there's a give and get here. But but I'm not necessarily sure that this ruling does that. And this on its own may not. Mm-hmm. And in a vacuum it may not. I'm thinking more of the as it keeps layering on top. And and I'm not sure that especially based on this ruling I mean, and and that's the challenge here is that there is so much of the well they're a new team well no they're not mm-hmm. there's so much of that going on that on one hand they're a new team and we're going to treat them like a new team but we're not going to treat them as a new team around this one thing i'm not sure that this is truly going to end up as validation i think that this is more that this is going to end up being pushed over outside of the fia into the eu courts over the prize money distribution and contractual obligations around Formula One management because of the fact that there is so much that is piling on and saying, well, no, the old Force India doesn't exist. This is a new entry. And that's what I think they're actually... I think this kind of reinforces that case along with some of the other words that have happened of, yes, they're a new entry and they shouldn't be getting this money. I think this is actually working more in Haas's favor, not less in their favor. So remind me for a minute. Okay. Um, when Marusha died mm-hmm. and Manor came in and bought them. Now, I understand that they were in the bottom end of the world, but the the year that they failed was the year they got their one and only point and made it into the ninth place. Mm-hmm. That prize money didn't go away on them. It became part of the deal that they they were be, they were allowed to keep it somehow. They were because Manor didn't. I, I don't think they registered as a new entity. I think they they bought the existing operating license and kept that going and stayed. This they just rebranded and relabeled. But the other difference, though, was, well, no, there's there's 10 cars on the grid, or 10 teams on the grid now. Um, well, Haas wasn't in play. Mm-hmm. So there, there was no team that was looking at from that same perspective of I had to, and, and that's what a lot of this is. We had to wait three years or, or two years to get the money, and you're giving it to them right now. When, when Manor went through this, there was nobody else looking at that window. And I think that's the big difference. So the teams were willing to allow it from the perspective of, 
we're not getting our first money now. We, we've been going entities for several years. We want to keep the back marker team running. Haas is looking at it from the perspective of we're a brand new team. This is the first year we've gotten money, the first year we've set this up. And, there, and that's why only Haas is fighting it. And I think that's the big difference. Well, I have said this, and I still hold, that I think Haas went about their entry completely illogically. They should have bought the Manor team. They should have bought the Manor team. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you're pissed off about, is that you didn't buy the team that you should have, my other argument simply becomes the prize money that Sahara Force India earned mm -hmm. would have been part of the Sahara Force India package that Racing Point Force India purchased. I, but we don't know if that's, we don't know what they purchased. We don't know if that was part of the deal or if they could have even included that as part of the deal. Well, see, I mean, and that's the question about how is that all laid out. And so much of this is behind closed doors and secret, and it's just my speculation. But one would think that prize money earned is accounts receivable. And when you buy a company, you buy their payables and their receivables. I'm expecting money depends, in. It depends, again, depends on the deal. Because when you buy a company, you don't, if the deal doesn't include the, the acquired company's debt, that debt doesn't transfer over. We've seen that happen with, with GM when that happened. Um, there was some degree of that that occurred with the Chrysler deal when Fiat bought them. There, that debt may not be assumed depending on the nature of the deal. I thought that was part of what Lance Stroll did was that he acquired the debt, and that's how he bought the companies. He bought their debt on them and paid their debt. But he may not – again, because of the nature of the contracts and how the entity was stood up, and that's where it gets really fuzzy. Yes, he bought the operating license or some form of, of – the rights to the name, but he may not have gotten the operating license, and since it's a new license, but he did buy the race entry. Mm -hmm. And that's where the details of this deal, we don't have them to truly understand what was bought and how it worked. And we know that some of the 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 things that are being sorted out in this whole thing, Lawrence paid in advance and he's waiting for the courts to refund and sort that whole bit out. So, yeah, it, it's... Because remember, as it stands at my understanding, he personally, in addition to what he paid for the license and all of that, he personally paid off all the debt and so that he is the sole uh, creditor. Yeah he, yeah, he paid off the, the, the outstanding credit, the supplier debt. Mm -hmm. He paid them with the agreement that the court, they would the creditors would allow the courts to reimburse him as opposed to them getting money so that they got the money right away that they were owed and the team could continue to function. We know that. Well, all I can tell you, and this is going to be a saga worthy of daytime television, I'm quite sure, um, that Otto Safnauer's interview with Channel 4 was very fascinating, but his statement was, effectively we do not change the way we do business in this in this team except that we're paying our suppliers on time yeah <laughs> it's like outstanding so in other news if you have not figured it out if you have not heard it in the coverage that has happened so far 
this is Fernando Alonso's last Formula One race. No. In theory. You're kidding. Because Fernando says that he might come back. So did Button. Get over it. Yeah, there's that too. Um, But there's all the tributes happening to Fernando and all the things that, you know, remembering Fernando's storied career of unfulfilled promise. Yeah. Our words, not everybody else's, but. Well, remember, he's the greatest driver on the track, according to him. I, I stand by. He is easily one of the better drivers on the grid who makes some of the worst career decisions possible. <laughs> True. And, and honestly, I think that's what has held him back. And we've said this before. We've beaten this up quite a bit. Um, but there's a lot of tributes that are going on to Fernando around Formula One. If you have not noticed, he's got a special race suit. His car has a, a special livery for the weekend, and it's not just dropping off Shandon because they're in Abu Dhabi and you can't advertise alcohol on there. There is some special logos, some special livery on the car, a new helmet design. Um, there is a farewell photo with all McLaren team members wearing a commemorative D- uh, T-shirt scheduled for Sunday before the Grand Prix. And the team will also form a guard of honor for when Alonzo goes into the garage for the race. Now, they're doing this because they did it for Jensen. Okay. Not, you know, that's that's really the reason why. It's because Jensen got it. So, you know, you got to do it for Fernando. Do, okay, when they do this guard of honor thing, um, you know, traditionally in military worlds, they'd raise swords and you'd walk underneath all of the swords. Mm-hmm. What do they do? Wheel guns? No, what they what they did for Jensen and they'll do for him is they'll applaud as he goes walking through. And it, it's probably, I would bet that just like with Jensen, it's going to be more than just the McLaren personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be one of those times that I would bet you're going to see a lot of Ferrari folks are going to be over there despite the bad blood that had happened. There's probably going to be some Renault folks over there um, and then folks from other teams because Fernando has been in Formula One long enough that he's got contacts in all the teams, and you're going to see a lot of representatives from all the teams as part of this. Now, all that being said, what Fernando has to say, he says, all these tributes are a bit embarrassing for me. I'm shyer than people think, and I want it to go by quickly. I would like to be invisible until Monday, but I'll have to be here and talk a bit. There's a huge part of me that wants to just go, yeah, right. He's eating this up. To some extent, I think he is, but to some extent, no. I, I, I think from what we have seen of Fernando, yeah, he is a bit embarrassed by it, and, it, and it's a bit more than he would want as a farewell, would be my guess. You know, he's probably okay with the special livery. And the the helmet, I'm sure, was his idea to do, you know, those kind of things, those low, he's probably really good with. Probably the 800 stories that just about every outlet that covers Formula One is doing and the interviews that he's got to do as part of those packages and the things that go around that. At some point, yeah, he probably does get a little tired of it and it probably does get 
a little embarrassing, especially considering it's not like he's won a championship or a race recently. Right. So, you know, I, I could see that to some extent. So I think we have like four departing Formula One drivers this year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And so we've got four rookies next year coming on board. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have the one transfer of Kimi going down from all the way from Ferrari mm -hmm. to Sauber. So there's a lot of tributes going on. I get that Fernando's is quite a huge event. I mean, yes, nobody's doing a story on Marcus Erickson. Let's just be honest about it. But let's also be clear in terms of tributes. Nobody's probably actually doing a tribute for Marcus Erickson, for Esteban Ocon, for Sergei Sorotkin. Well, yeah, nobody knows Sergei. Ocon is getting a little bit of press because the feeling is that he's being shafted. Yeah, and, and we'll talk a little more about Ocon in a bit. Um, Stoffel Van Dorn also... The Flying Waffle is cascading into... Although, interestingly, Stoffel has gotten a gig. As much as he's going off to, to Formula E, he's gotten a gig driving simulators for Mercedes. Oh, nice. So there's still some tie back to Formula One there. Hey, got to keep the Flying Waffle. Now, in terms of other stuff for Fernando... Okay. Um, he is promising to add more races to his schedule in 2019 um, and may include, as he says, a couple of iconic places. The reality is, in terms of all he's got, official races right now on the calendar. For 19, there's just four. Oh, wow. So you've got the Indianapolis 500, mm -hmm. which uh, starts off in beginning in June. There's three races for the WEC. That's all of ra all the races he has on the calendar right now. Now, there's going to be four test sessions that go with those three races. So that'll fill out the calendar a little bit more. He's going to have a, a little bit of a quiet year. Yeah. Um, he has mentioned that he wants to do uh, the 24 Hours of Daytona again. Um, so that is over the winter. He'd really like to do that. Um, I think that's probably going to happen, um, given that Zach Brown owns a, or has a controlling stake in a team, and that got him in a car already this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised about that, but it kind of makes me wonder as to whether or not he might look to do some other IMSA events. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I hear IMSA's coming back to mid-Ohio. Maybe this year we'll actually get to go. I don't know. I don't think I've planned a weekend away that weekend, or when it should be. Well, we're going to need to do some research, because I also have not seen an email about campsites and stuff like that, and I would have think, thought that had come out by now. It should be any time now. So we need to do some research on what mid-Ohio is looking like, but maybe he'll, he'll do some IMSA stuff. Maybe we get to see him that way. I don't know. That would be awesome. So there was some fairly spectacular video coming out of Friday practice of uh, a lot of cars hitting the curb at uh, turn 20. Okay. The sausage curb there. Um, not the least of which was Max Verstappen. I guess the best way to describe it would be 
skateboarding down pretty much the entire length of it because once he hit it, he got stuck on it. He couldn't steer because it lifted his front wheels off the ground completely. Yeah. I, I was going to say he took the curb for a ride. Now, it's a 50-millimeter high curb, and apparently that's high enough to lift the car, especially the cars with extreme front rake, to lift them off the ground. Well, Roman Grosjean has declared it to be not F1 standard. Hmm. Um, what he had to say, and, and as a reminder, I believe Roman is currently the president of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. So when he pronounces such things, there is a bit of weight to it that's got the backing of the rest of the drivers in the paddock. Um, wow, what a change in his world from first lap <laughs> first lap <laughs> to, to president of the Drivers Association. Yeah. Wow. So after uh, free practice two, he does admit that the curb is a good idea because in terms of tr enforcing track limits, it's doing its job. And turn 20 has been an issue around track limits in the past. Um, but what he says is every time you go on it, there's a fair bit of dust coming out. So it's not great. It doesn't look very F1 standard. Um, even Max Verstappen is saying that the higher curb is an improvement on previous attempts to get drivers to respect track limits there. Um, he says, I understand why it's there. And, and honestly, I think it's also better because otherwise, at one point, you start playing with the limits. Um, he admits that he went over it a little bit. So they're, they're doing some more work on it, probably lowering it a little bit so that at least... If you hop it, you can get off of it? Yeah. So from what we've seen, the cars have hit it. They, they've dragged across it over qualifying and in free practice three. And yes, it slows them down. It's having an impact, but it's not having the same impact. That was pretty wild video, by the way. It was. Now... The use of these curbs is drawing some further discussions between the FIA and the GPDA, um, and we expect that there is going to be further conversations about them in the future because it has been acknowledged that what set Sophia Flourish's car airborne in Macau last weekend was the sausage curb. Oh. It was her hitting the curb that launched the car into the air, over the barriers, and into the photographer's stand. Now, we don't know how high the curb was, and that may have had something to do with it, but we don't know. Um, we do have an update on her condition, though. Uh, she did go through this past week a seven-hour spinal surgery. The surgery, though, has been uh, classified as a success, and word is, is that the prognosis is that she... Uh, is not expected to suffer any paralysis as a result of the incident. Wow. So there is a hope that she could actually return to racing again. Oh, wow. That's crazy if you think about it. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and especially in light of um, one of the drivers that we saw an interview with was Billy Monger this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, well, there's been a lot of talk because um, earlier this week, the BBC uh, released a documentary, and I've, only, I've, I've started watching, I've only made it about a quarter of the way through it so far, on Billy's crash and, and predominantly his recovery after the crash and his voyage to get back into a car again. And he's doing well in his adaptive car. 
yeah, he's had some success. He has not had a full season drive yet. I mean, we talked about uh, a couple of months ago um, that he celebrated a third place. I believe it was at Snetterton, um, not with a shoey, but with a leggy. With a leggy. Okay. Yes, that is that is quite true. But speaking of uh, disabled drivers, mm-hmm. we also are seeing next year the return of Robert Kavitsa. Yeah, we're not there yet. Oh, come on. You're jumping ahead. Well, I'm, you jumped over to, to Billy Monger to begin with, which, which by the way, I, I look every so often at um, the keywords that bring people over to thebloakandabird.com. That's always a scary thing to do. It is, but and, – and we get some interesting – Billy Monger's one of the ones, one of the term, our top ten terms that has people coming over to the website. Also, oddly enough – Magnuson Toyota San Diego. Okay. Kevin Magnuson, that one. But the one that really weirds me out, and whoever it is who's doing this, and, and thankfully there were only about two hits, but it, it really weirds me out. And, and why, well, actually, I, I, I kind of know how this combination triggered it, but whoever's doing this search, there's something wrong with you. Unless it's Toto Wolf. It was the search term Susie Wolf underwear. That was just weird. <laughs> unless unless your name is Toto Wolf, you should not be searching for that. Actually, Toto does not need to search for that either. <laughs> well, if he doesn't know how to find it, we're not going to be able to help him with that one. No. <laughs> no. The only thing that I can think of no, just knowing the stories that we've had about underwear is that possibly this was on a show where we were talking about Formula E drivers getting in trouble for wearing the wrong fireproof underwear. And somehow we're also talking about Susie Wolf in the same episode. That but even enti- still, that's just weird. That is entirely possible. <laughs> but please stop searching for people's underwear on the interwebs. <laughs> Anyway, in other news, completely unrelated to any of it. Well, actually, slightly related to Total Wolf. But Only not not to Susie and or any no, of her undergarments. No, not at all, but to Mercedes. Okay. That, that, that's where we're headed. It is a Mercedes story, story here. Lewis got permission for the weekend. Now, he has not done this for the full weekend. But he got permission to run the number one on his car this weekend. Okay. Now, on one hand, this isn't completely unusual because the, rea- the way the rules are is that the winner of the World Drivers' Championship gets to run number one on their car. Now, what's really odd is that if that driver should change teams in the offseason, the one goes with them. Right. So it doesn't – even though they won – at a previous team, the one doesn't stay with the previous team. The one goes with the driver. Right, because the driver won that. Yeah. So Lewis was te- has technically been entitled to run the number one on his car this year as reigning world champion. Right. And I should note something. That Seb, for his when he won the four times, three of those years, he ran the number one. Well, there was a big difference, though. Remember, up until 2014 was Seb's last, 2013 was Seb's last title. 
up until 2013, the, the car numbering was based on the driver standing in the championship, not their driver's personal number. Um, Actually, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought they still had a choice. It was constructors, with the exception of the championship driver. The, the driver's champion always got number one, but the other numbers were based on the standing in the car. So Mark Webber ran number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so on down the line based on the number one driver and number two driver, but it was based on the constructor standings. In 2014, that changed with drivers being allowed to run their personal number like they'd been able to do in previous, in, in the junior series, with the exception of the winner of the driver's championship who could either run their personal number or could run number one. If they ran number one, their personal number would be reserved for them. So another driver couldn't come into Formula One and take it. And that way, the following year, if they didn't win the driver's championship, they reverted back to their personal number. That's how this is supposed to work. Lewis deliberately elected to continue running 44 when he had the option. That was my whole point, was that Lewis made a conscious decision to run 44 Mm -hmm. and not ever assume the one that is his right as being... You know, it's his privilege to be able right. to do that if, as the world champion. So they got permission not just to – he got permission not just to run the number one, but it's kind of a special livery okay. because he got permission to run the number one on the nose but on the rear of the car to continue to run his number 44. Why did he do that? Because it's still his personal number and no. it means a lot to him. Why did he? I mean, he's never won the one before. Why do you think he ran it this time? Well, initially it was put forward that it was in celebration of fifth world championship and fifth constructors win for Mercedes. And that was why he had done it. Um, however, if you notice it qualifying, there was no number one on the car. It was straight 44. Right. Well, we got more information as to what happened and why and a whole reason for it. He only ran it in free practice one. He does say that he dislikes running the number one. 44 is him. It's his, And yes, it's also Aaron Senna's number. But that has been his representation for all of these years. It's a part of him. He does not like running the number one. The reason why he elected to do it, though, is... This wasn't for him. This was, again, as that reminder that he won that championship for Mercedes and for all of the folks in the factory and all of that stuff, and they have not had the opportunity to have a car with the one on it. And it was to give all of them the chance to have the pictures of the car with the one on it. Oh, okay. So the now the real question that I have here is, okay, he could have done this and this one-off thing, or... He could have taken it out during a practice session and done the same thing, or or not a practice session, a, a test session, and done the same thing, and it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But Well, this got press, so yeah. there's that. Did you notice that their championship T-shirts that they popped out with when the Mercedes won the World Championship, there's uh, – Turquoise color T-shirts with white lettering, and mm-hmm. on the be- what essentially was the belly, it was the um, oak leaf. Um, it was the leaf wreath with a one in the middle of it. I think they've done that before. Yeah, 
but it was really kind of cool how they did that. But it was, um, I thought it was a very interesting nod to a very old school way of announcing the one. Yeah. Something, there is something very specific about this fifth championship that has really sparked Mercedes. I mean, get five in a row is a huge deal. Or as they've been calling it, the high five. The high five. Um, I mean, it's it's a big deal. And I don't want to diminish that in any way, shape, or form. But there's there's something about it. And I just haven't dug into the research enough to say, does this put them in a different category of constructors? You know, are they now competing with the number of world championships that other big names that you know? Because, you know, some of the names that we know that have won world championships aren't around anymore. I mean, Benetton's not in existence anymore. And Well, in, I, I think in terms of the age of the team and potentially how fast the team got to five is probably fairly quick. Mm-hmm. And if, if you really want to go back further and look at the genesis of this team and, and what its roots are, if you count the Braun win, that could be six for this group. Um, and look at, I believe if you go even further back, it was Tyrrell? No. No, it was the Red Bulls that may have come out of the Tyrrells. I don't know. I would have to dig up to, to see because, I mean, there's a lot of statistics. A lot. And I know that'll shock everyone who's listening. There's a lot of statistics and there's a lot of different ways that you can make these numbers make sense. But, you know, they talk a lot about the fact that Ferrari has been in the sport since the 50s, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. Mercedes has been there that long too, but not always as a team. And not consistently either. Yes, Merced- the Silver Arrows started in the 50s when Formula One did, but they were not part of Formula One as a constructor or a manufacturer for a very large window. I mean, probably like 20, 30 years easily before coming back as an engine manufacturer and then ultimately as a team. So, anyway, in other news, while we're still talking about Mercedes, we mentioned Esteban Ocon. Um, we know what he's doing next year. He, he is going to be Mercedes' third driver. No, they're not going to try and put three butts into two seats. He is going to be their reserve driver. Okay. Official reserve, which I think he's technically been their reserve driver. Um, now, part of what has sealed Esteban's fate, um, we have known, and I would expect that probably about as we're recording this, um, the, the final unsurprising confirmation is about to come down that Lance Stroll will be moving over to Force India and taking his seat. Afmar Saf, or, yeah, Atmar Safnauer basically came as close to confirming it as he possibly could without making the official announcement on Channel 4 um, that basically he, he, he looked at Mark Weber and Susie Wilp and just said, assume that it's Lance uh-huh. without saying it's Lance. So that has removed that away. Um, the situation over at Williams, which we're about to get to, that also really, that was the last straw there. So Mercedes is keeping... Esteban around, but as a reserve driver. Um, We'll see how that goes. 
They're hoping that they can test him. I think they're, they'll probably try and get him into some free practice ones where they can just to keep him somewhat fresh. Yeah, that makes sense. So over at Williams, what has happened, and this is to get to your thing, um, I think Williams is about, as much as I'm happy to, to see this news, I, I have a, a big fear that Williams is about to go through if we thought this year was bad, next year is going to be worse. Um, and I don't mean that from a driver quality perspective necessarily. But let's look at what's about to happen with sponsorship for them. So Martini's out the door. Mm-hmm. And we know that. With Lawrence taking Lance out the door, that means the Canadian sponsors are probably going with Lance which means Bombardier is probably leaving, Canada Life is probably leaving, and JCB is probably leaving. Okay. And now we have word that Sergei Sorokin's backers, SMP Racing, is frustrated with the team as well and the poor progress that they saw this year. They're pulling their money, and oh, Sergei with them. Yes. But I'm not sure that really leaves anybody on that car. Um, BT's on there. I don't know how, what kind of deal that is. Um, Rexona is probably still on there. I don't know who else is left. However, mm-hmm. from what I understand, George brings a large amount of sponsorship. I don't know what he brings. Well, he brings the F2 championship is what he brings. He, he, he brings the F2 championship, which, by the way, and, and we only touched on this a little bit. Um, he made his case to Williams to hire him with a PowerPoint presentation that he gave to Patty Lowe. So for all of you PowerPoint rangers out there, <laughs> the right PowerPoint could possibly get you a job in Formula One. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, that I think is really cool. But he, oh, by the way, he did lock up the championship in Abu Dhabi this weekend. Yes, this he weekend. did. Um, so congratulations. Um, another Brit on the on the grid, and then with um, Kabitza, Robert Kabitza, because that's the other big announcement with, with Sergey Sorokin leaving. Williams announced the return of after. Eight years away from Formula One and a major, major injury, the return of Robert Kubica as a primary driver for the team. Because he's been a a test and reserve driver, and he's been driving tests for them. And he's driven enough tests, and the numbers are coming up that he is quite good. And so the big questions are he is essentially one-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the questions are, is he going to be able to drive the car? And he's driven tests, and they're in the simulator, and we shall see what happens with that. However, the press around Kabitza's return is looking to bring in a large amount of money into well, Williams. This is what we talked about last year. when, And we didn't get the decision into – it's been probably not quite a year – since Williams had, had firmed up their lineup for 2018. I think it was 
after the postseason test. They had both Sorotkin and, and Kibitza in Abu Dhabi driving side by side. And, but as the rumors were swirling around Robert possibly coming back in 2018, that was the big story then of, you know, for Williams to look in for that feel-good story, because everybody wants the feel-good story around Williams, bringing Kibitza back, the PR bonus and the PR bump you get out of that is massive. Mm -hmm. That's something that for a good part of the year, people are going to be talking about and people are going to be watching. No matter how he does, and they're going to be watching. And if he has any level of success, mm -hmm. any level of success, I mean, we're talking like make it into Q2 yeah um kind of success if he does anything it's going to be off the charts and so um channel no the bbc was talking that williams is actually in a spot that the sorotkin money that was leaving they were more than making up for it with their current driver lineup between these two that that's the theory that's coming from the bbc and and I, I don't know. I don't know what his backers look like. There, that was one of the questions from last year was everybody knew at that time that Sorotkin came with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And Williams was really being questioned with the decision of were they truly making it from the perspective of he is the fastest driver or was he the one with the biggest checkbook? Right. And I don't know what he's – I've got to assume he's bringing something. Um, I, I, I don't know what George Russell brings, but, but coming out of F2, he can't – he may be bringing some backing. He can't be bringing that much backing. I don't know. I don't know what he's got in his hip pocket either. And that's something that we'll have to watch. But you're right. The PR bump of Kibitza is huge right now. Yeah. And like I said, any amount of success that he has, let him get on a podium. Holy smokes, is that going to be good for that team? It, it will. I, I think given Williams' performance, podiums are going to be a stretch. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really wish that wasn't the case. Um, you know, you know, Williams is a team that that should be consistently fighting for fourth and fifth, if not the occasional podium and they haven't been there no in quite a long time no and it's the question of will the 2019 car perform I and mean, they've had a dog of a car this year so have they decided to fix what's wrong and make it a better car um could the the stars align just right you get the right freak storm in the right spot you get a massive turn one crash that takes the leaders out and somebody capitalized on it, and all of a sudden you see a shakeup at the front end of the field. And that's how Williams is going to get back up there. I mean, that's the reality. Um, but it's an opportunity. It's a change. It's something nifty and different, and it's what we talk about. So I think it's really good. I really think it's going to be good for them. I have to have hope for Williams because they're, they're, the they're the little engine that could in so very many ways. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the question is, can they find enough success next year to keep going? Because I mean, that's my fear. You, you look at how much money is probably going out the door at the end of this season. 
can they keep the finances strong enough to go beyond that? Yeah. Now, I, I suspect as an entity, Williams Advanced Engineering can continue because they've got very strong hooks into other series. It's whether or not the Formula One team can survive. I, I think that know. would kill Dad if the team didn't survive. It, it, would, it would be a hit. But I don't, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and keep in mind, this is a team that has survived on reselling people's chassis back to them. So they've survived on no well, money. It, not so much a team. That's a family. A family. Because Frank was doing that. I think that's it was how just he got in. That, that's, that's how he got in. But that, that was before Formula, he got into Formula One. He was supporting Formula One, and the team that he started back then is not the team that, that he has now. No, yes. he got bought out from underneath them. But at one point, to support his entry and to be able to keep racing, he would take people's chassis at the end of the season. And refurbish. Refurbish them and sell the same chassis back to them as if it was entirely new. Yeah. Snake oil salesman, Frank Williams says. <laughs> um. I need to circle back real quick because okay. I consulted the great big book of everything. You remember I said something about there was something about that fifth world championship that Mercedes got that I thought was special? Yes. So the book that I just looked up put them with the five wins, mm -hmm. puts them in fifth place of the most championships ever won by a constructor. Okay. So that's kind of an interesting fact, but it pushes them ahead of Red Bull. And right below Lotus. So your top teams for constructor wins is Ferrari mm -hmm. with 15, Williams with nine, McLaren with eight, and Lotus with seven. And, you know, that's where I think there's some of the biggest tragedy right there is McLaren and Williams – Mm -hmm. right up there at the top and they've been nowhere yep. for almost 10 years now. Yeah, that is definitely a really hard, hard thing to deal with. So, that I mean, that's that's where it's, it falls. Red Bull would be one behind them, so they're now fifth in all-time championships by constructor. Okay. So it, it's kind of a nifty little lineup of things. It's Lewis's fifth, it's their fifth, and now they're fifth in the, the series. You know, the, the other interesting statistic, I think, at this point would be around engines. And in, uh, power, the, the engines that have powered the world champions. You know, for years, it was known that Ford was the winningest engine in Formula One in terms of championships with Ferrari behind them. With Mercedes' success the last several years, has Mercedes been able to catch up? No, not yet. Okay. Um, Ford won, my rough count here is Ford won 10. Mm -hmm. um, we know Ferrari has won 15 of them. Um, Honda, I think, won six. Renault has won quite a few. Now, are you looking at teams, or are you looking at the engines themselves? 
Um, I'm looking at, well, it's teams and they're hyphenated with their engine if they weren't okay. the same engine. So Renault actually has won, I think, 12 championships. They've won quite a few. Um, Mercedes has won three, yeah, three as not a works team. So two is McLaren and one is Braun. Okay. So they're up to eight. Yeah. For an engine. And I'm just kind of looking down this list to see um, if there was any other call outs of engine manufacturers that meant anything and not not nothing would have even hit five. Okay. So, so let let's move on. And actually okay. since we were just talking about McLaren one of the things that we have been watching over at McLaren is their efforts to lure over or lure away from Toro Rosso uh, designer James Key. Okay. Well, it sounds like now McLaren is expecting that uh, James Key will be headed to McLaren sometime in 2019. So what this means, and, and not surprisingly, because we knew Garden Lee being what it was, Obviously, James Key will not have any impact on the 2019 or, or minimal impact on the 2019 car. The, the main body of that design work is, is going on now, and James wasn't going to have a part of that. But probably where we're truly going to see effects from James is going to be on that 2020 car. Well, that will be interesting. And in our last story. So we've got coming up uh, in a couple of weeks... Uh, Formula E will have, I believe it's their first race in Saudi Arabia. Okay. All the politics around Saudi Arabia aside, let, let, let's ignore that. But one of the things that they decided to do as part of um, their activities that will be going on in Saudi Arabia is they are hosting a private test session specifically for women drivers. Interesting. Um, so they've got five drivers who are expected. It's going to be their – actually, I'm sorry. Set, it's not exclusive for them. But seven of the 22 spots that they're going to have will be uh, women nice. driving. Um, I thought it was an exclusive one. I was incorrect about that. Well, that's good because they'll be racing up against men. So currently on the list um, – Sauber Formula One test driver Tatiana Calderon. Okay. Uh, Formula Four driver Amna Al Quibasi. British Formula Three winner Jamie Chadwick. Supercars driver Simona Di Silvestra. BMW Motorsports Betsky Visser. IMSA, IMSA driver Catherine Legg. And former Lotus F1 driver Carmen Jorda. That'll be about a third of the drivers on a test. That'd be cool. And then you add on top of that the interesting thing. And you got to wonder how much of that was PR just in general around the Saudis and how much of this may have been possibly to stick their tongue out at the Saudis. But that reminder that women only got the right to drive in Saudi Arabia in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to be driving race cars on a street circuit. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, this little nod to politics is we were recently watching. Currently in Saudi Arabia, there is a move to be a little bit more modern. 
And that's why women have become able to drive. That was a big shift in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that is not also part of the PR move of Saudi Arabia to make sure that that gets promoted too. Um, that may have been some of it. Formula E also really w- wants some women. They did that, but to encourage this, there was an incentive that they offered the teams. Were they? So normally at a test session, you only get to enter one car. Um, Formula E offered up to the teams, if they ran a female driver, that they would be able to run two cars in the test session. Oh, nice. So all of the teams, with the exception of Audi and Jaguar, took them up on that offer. Well, that's it. Audi and Jaguar, you're sexist. Just remember who the team principal over at Audi is. That's Alan McNish. Okay. He's a short sexist then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you kind of, you used to like Alan McNish. Apparently I, you don't anymore. <laughs> he's a fine commentator, but until he tells me why he didn't have a, a woman to get the second car in the, the test, I'm going to have to call him a sexist. And on that note. Well, you know, it, it is possible that in terms of a quality driver, I mean, look, look at uh, Carmen Jorda is being allowed to drive a car. <laughs> I know, you dislike okay, her. Okay, so in, in terms of available quality drivers who were willing to, it, it's possible they went to Pippa Man and said, hey, you want to come drive? And, and she said, no. I mean, it's possible that they or went that and they looked for... Or that they had lined up the girl that just had the accident in Macau. Yeah, so let's be clear. It, it may I not said... necessarily be that they decide to deliberately exclude. It may be that they approached several drivers and were turned down. Entirely possible. Then they should come out and say that. Okay. It's I'm possible just saying, just in, Alan in the article that up... I have that they didn't say that. I don't Alan know. Alan needs to pick up the phone and tell me that he tried. Why don't you reach out to him? I will gladly do that. All right. On that note. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.